0: Good morning. good morning. It's good to see you guys. That was good. That was good. Uh, for those of you joining us online, it's great to have you with us. Maybe you're at one of our campuses. Uh, hey, can we just give a shout out to the volunteers and some of the staff who just helped the parking lots, all of our campuses, everything. I was talking with the, the John, who plays drums here uh, at the Sprecher Campus, and he said he got up at 4.20 AM to shovel to be here. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so, Uh, I said, why don't you help yourself to a donut, right? (laughs) Uh, But no, Um, it's good to have you. My name is Mark, one of the pastors uh, here. Uh, Just a quick question as we get started this morning. How many of you love a good road trip? Anybody? Okay, good. This is is my people. Okay, this is, hopefully you're raising your hands too. There's nothing like a great road trip. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we took a road trip as a family. We went to New York City. This is like the uh, family road trip, the kind where you lose your sister at F.E.O. Schwartz. This happened. It did. And uh, it was a great road trip, a lot of fun memories. We found her, by the way. She's okay. But um, on the way there, I'm just a child. So I don't really have a full concept of of time and how that works. And what is, it's like their duty. What is every child's responsibility in the back of the car when you're on a road trip? They say one thing, say it with me, one, two, three. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's right. That's right, are we there yet? And I think I was just annoying my parents a lot because eventually I ended up with a map in my hand. And my mom was like, this is where we are. This is where we're going. It takes a long, this is like a physical map. Some of you remember these, right? <laughs> I am a millennial, but I'm an elder millennial. So we didn't have MapQuest when I was that young. Uh, and, uh, or Google Maps, or whatever it was. And um, anyway, so uh, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm looking out the window. I see how fast we're going. I can trace with my finger on the highway on the map. And I'll match it to the speed, you know. And I'll try and do some calculation in my mind. So I, I just think I'm really smart. and I'm in the back seat. And in a few minutes, I'm just like tracing. I'm looking out, making sure that we're going so fast. I'm just tracing. After a while, I say, Mom, we're there. And she said, no, we're not. <laughs> Literally 10 minutes ago, I just told you. We have hours to go. And I said, no, Mom, we're, we're there. Obviously, I had a lot to learn, but I'm a very visual person. Some of you, you're very visual people. We've been following the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. And if you're like me, there's all these like names of ancient cities and places. And you're just like, what is Phrygia and Mysia and Troas and Bithynia That just sounds fun to say, Bithynia. And so let's just catch up with where we're at in the book of Acts right now. So we got a map here on the screen. And uh, so the Apostle Paul starts over here in Antioch. And he uh, starts a second missionary journey, ends up in Lystra, picks up a guy named Timothy, and uh, Timothy joins Paul and Silas, and then they kind of wander around uh, as the, they're kind of knowing, wondering where to go next. Chapter 16 just has all these places listed, like Bithynia and Galatia and Phrygia and Mysia, and they end up in Troas, and then finally he gets direction from God. He says, go to Macedonia. And so the next map we see, the footprints change to little boats, and they sail across the Aegean Sea, and they end up in Philippi. This is where we were last week, right? This wonderful story in the Bible about the Philippian jailer. And then um, uh, he's in Macedonia. This week, then, we're going to be uh, in Philippi. He travels to a town called Thessalonica, and then he ends up in Berea. But Macedonia is modern-day, modern-day Greece, specifically kind of the upper part of that peninsula. So let's go ahead and let's open our Bibles together. Acts chapter 17 is where we're at as we follow and pick up with Paul here on his journey. Acts chapter 17 says this. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, ah, I just stumbled over that. They're fun words to say, these cities. Uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you Is the Messiah? He said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of Greek uh, God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And that's really important to note because the gospel isn't just for the Jews here. Paul starts in the synagogue as he's been doing, as we've been with him, but so many more people, as they're hearing the gospel, they come to know Jesus, men and women. Uh, and, and note here what it says here too. These are very important key words. He reasoned with them, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus being one of the most important pieces of the gospel that he is sharing with this new Greek community, actually with every community that he walks into. Because this is uh, the land of the Greeks. and uh, Thessalonica is actually a very strategic city. So we're gonna zoom out, just one more map uh, for you today. Zoom out, you can see this. Thessalonica is a very strategic city as it is at the top of the Aegean Sea here. It's an important port city. There's a road that goes through Thessalonica called the Via Ignatia, and it's one of these like major highways, thoroughfares, interstates, well, interempires, I guess you would say, the Roman Empire, uh that connected Rome with the west the eastern half of its territories and everything that it was occupying. And so for the gospel to be planted here and for the church to be planted in Thessalonica was going to be very, very important for the spread of the church, for the growth of the church. But that's not the only thing that's important about Thessalonica. The other thing that we should know about Thessalonica is that it was called a free city. And very few cities actually had this status within the Roman Empire at the time. And what a free city was, was where they earned a special status from Rome. that said, we will allow you to govern yourself. We will allow you to have your own way of, of rule, but you have to be sympathetic to us, right? There's a lot of strings attached to this. And this is gonna come into play in the text that we're going to continue to read. Because one of the things that they could not do was have a coup. Right? They couldn't try and raise up or use their own political sway to raise up another leader to try and overthrow Rome or someone who thought they were greater than the emperor. And so here we have in this Thessalonica, this, this free city, the church being planted. And it's that very kind of Achilles heel of the people who are running this city, not wanting to jeopardize anything. This is what gets leveraged to kick Paul out of town. Let's keep reading in our text together. Back in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, picking up in verse five this time. But other Jews were jealous. It's an important word. But other Jews were jealous. Not the first time we've seen other Jews being jealous. We see it uh, in Paul's first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13. Uh, Let's keep reading. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. And uh, some translations will read worthless men. They rounded up worthless men from the marketplace. Remember, this is a port city. There's a lot of worthless men hanging around. This is a major thoroughfare. It's a major thoroughfare trade from the north and the south, as well as the east and the west. There's a lot. There's a lot of people kind of at the bottom, the socioeconomic, the people who are bumming around. They're probably drunk in the middle of the day. They round them up, and what do they do? They want to create a riot. So they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. So they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. And let's just pause for a second. I love how in Scripture sometimes we're just randomly introduced to people, like, right? Like, have you ever been to a party and like you're waiting for your friend to introduce you to to someone that you don't know, and like the whole time you don't know who they are, and you're like, "Am I supposed to introduce?" You ever been there? Okay, like. We're not introduced to who Jason is, it's just like, oh, you know, Jason. Um, And there's not much we know about Jason, but we, we know just from the text we're gonna read, he was an affluent person, he had a home. He was a born again believer. He housed the early church there in Thessalonica. Ends up becoming a key leader, coming alongside Paul. He pops up in Romans. Uh, Paul mentions him. And so, anyways, Jason is here. He's helping. He's he's one of the early leaders here in Thessalonica. So what do they do? They uh, they rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But verse six, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and other believers before the city officials, shouting, "These men have caused trouble all." over the world have now come here. Uh, if you have an English standard version, uh, ESV, or perhaps a King James version, you will read the words, these men who have turned the world upside down. It's where we get the title for this, this series. It's the first time we see it translated in, this, in the text. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here. Verse 7 And Jason was welcoming welcoming them into his home, guilty by association. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And here's that Achilles seal. It's the one thing they weren't allowed to do. This is the land of the Greeks. There are so many religions. There are so many different kinds of faiths. There are so many different kinds of gods and idols present in Thessalonica. It's a main thoroughfare. You literally have it from all over the world in Thessalonica. Having a different religion, well, that's, that's nothing new. But having one that says that they're going to have a king that's greater than Caesar, well, now you're starting to step on our toes. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. I want to focus on a little word uh, in verse 5. It's the word jealous. Some of the Jews were jealous. And what do they say? These men are turning the world upside down. They see their brothers and sisters, their ethnic heritage, their identity that goes back for centuries and centuries and centuries start to be shaken up, start to be changed. People that they would you know, go to the synagogue with uh, on a regular basis, all of a sudden they start believing something different. And, and when something different, when change happens, a lot of times it kind of jars us a little bit, right? They're like, hey, these guys are turning the world upside down. What's going on? And we're not going to tackle the world upside down. That's a really huge kind of phrase. Uh, but we're just going to narrow in because, because uh, the Bible right here, it uses the word jealous. And I want to talk about jealousy for a moment. Now, I I searched the internet for the most vile form of jealousy I could find. And, And this is the picture that I discovered. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. Jealousy at its best. Too Little puppies, right? You ever been around like two dogs? These are our two dogs, by the way. Um, so I didn't really search the internet, did I? I more just took a picture and then put it on the internet. But uh, anyways, uh, what happens when you have two dogs? You start kind of petting one, and they're all getting a lot of attention. Maybe you're, giving, maybe you're giving them a treat or something. The other one, what? Tail starts wagging, they come over. Why? I want some of that, right? I want some of that. I want some of that love. I want some of that attention, right? I want some of that petting, whatever it may be. This is like really innocent, right? This is really innocent because we all know, you can take the picture now, it's okay, but we, we all know how terrible jealousy can be in our life. Whether we've been the one who is jealous or perhaps we've experienced what jealousy of others on us can do. Jealousy can make us do horrible, horrible, horrible things. Proverbs 27, it talks about like anger and fury, but then when it gets to jealousy, it says, but who can stand against it? In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about jealousy and we're not gonna get into an exhaustive understanding of jealousy here, but just look at five key scriptures with me real quick. And you can see that in Galatians 5, jealousy is listed as a fruit of the flesh. And so what do you do when you have a fruit of the flesh? You replace it with the fruit of the Spirit, which is also in Galatians 5. 1 Corinthians 13.4 tells us that jealousy, envy, is an antonym of love. So how do you squash jealousy when it's the antonym of love? You choose to love, like Christ loves us, as it's depicted in 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Timothy 6, it's a symptom of pride. And how do you squash pride but with humility? Uh, James 3.16, it's a catalyst for conflict, which that's definitely, definitely what we're talking about here today, isn't it? It's a catalyst for conflict. They start a mob. And how do you squash jealousy as a catalyst for conflict in your life? But remember that we should be proponents of peace because God can give us a peace that is greater than anything we could experience. It's the mark of unbelievers, Romans 1.29. And so we know that it should not mark our lives. But jealousy is interesting. Let's just hone it in just a little bit more. Because we can be jealous about a lot of things. In fact, you know, just putting, you know, a picture up there could have sparked jealousy, right? Like it just it comes up out of nowhere. This is how it works in our life. But what's happening in the scriptures? let's Let's just hone this in for a moment. What's happening is that God is moving in the lives of new believers, and he's turning their world upside down as they learn to live the Jesus way. Because that's what the power of the gospel does, right? The power of the gospel draws us into a new way of living that turns our world upside down. And when it turns our world upside down, that means the people around us see that world being turned upside down. And they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Don't mess with my world. What are you doing? You're messing things up. Have you ever just been in a season in your life where you feel like God is truly moving through you, where you feel like God is, like you are walking in step with the spirit, as the scriptures say, and and other people are trying to get in your way. Other people are trying to like raise up a mob to stop what's going on in your life because they don't like it. that's a great question to maybe wrestle through, but I think a better question is, have you ever been on the other side of that where you're jealous of how God is moving in someone else's life and there's everything inside of you that wants to just stop it? It's when you're in a small group and the other couple in the small group begins to share about this blessing that they're experiencing. And immediately in your heart, you begin to have a conversation with God that says, God, I've been asking for that way longer than they have. I have worked much harder for that than they have. They don't deserve that. I deserve that. Why are you letting me sit here and listen to somebody else getting exactly what I've been asking for? Jealousy. Perhaps it's at your workplace, right? Where somebody else gets the promotion, whatever it is. I think when we get closer to home, though, it makes way more of a deeper impact like when one of your close friends invites you out to supper and they want to celebrate something that's just happened, whether it's been something with their work or with their own personal life, whatever it is, and they're invited you out so that you can celebrate with them, But the whole time, as you're wearing a smile, your heart is just racing inside. God, why are you letting them do that? Don't you remember what they did? God, do I need to remind you what they did? Jealousy. Maybe it's your own spouse. Jealousy. We need to be really, really careful that when God is moving in and through people, because this is what he does, that we're not on the wrong side of this. And that we have jealousy kind of rooting up in our hearts that we quickly squash it down with what humility and peace and gratitude and thankfulness because when jealousy comes up into our hearts, it should be like a fire alarm in a building, right? You ever been in a building when they're like testing the fire alarm or one's been off? Flashing lights and sounds, you can't think straight. That's what it should be like when jealousy pops up in the heart of the believer because it should should remind us like, hey, you're not trusting God right now. You're not trusting him that maybe he has a better way, that maybe he's doing something It's going to be far greater than you could ask or imagine. That should should pop up in our hearts. Too often times, when those fire alarms go off in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, we quickly just hit override because we enjoy the fire. Luckily, in the text, we see a different way to respond to the gospel. So let's keep reading. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. So Paul gets kicked out of Thessalonica, right? Gets run out of town. And he goes 30, 40 miles west to a town called Berea. Verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That's what he does. Now the Berean Jews were more were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Uh, in other words, maybe your translation might say they were more open-minded. This Uh, is kind of saying they were more educated. They had a more mature approach to new ideas. And this is exactly what we see here. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Again, we see that just highlighting the spread of the gospel, not just with the Jews, but also the Gentiles, the Greeks around the area. And man, what a great verse. Some of you, man, you've maybe hung on to this verse before, but what a great verse to how we should approach the scriptures with great eagerness, right? Great eagerness, examining them every day to see if what Paul said was true. I was talking to somebody earlier this week about this, and they said, Mark, would you really want somebody to do that, like with your message? Like just take it home and just try and find the weak points and, you know what I mean, examine the scriptures? I said, Yes. (laughs) If that gets you in the word every day, go for it. Go for it. Man, that's what a great example of how we should respond with eagerness. Man, so many, we are filled with, this is not the only time uh, that you experience someone saying what the Bible says. You all have the crazy uncle, right? Sending you that link that you should watch or listen to or perhaps the coworker or perhaps you know you just have a healthy feed and so uh, on your social media streams and so there are christian things actually coming up and you're hearing people talk about the bible and you're hearing people talk about jesus and you're hearing talk people talk about what it is to live in a godly way with eagerness let's examine the scriptures was well, that really what the bible says let's open it up god willing it is and if it is if you if you examine the scriptures you're only going to grow deeper and you're only going to have a greater understanding. Man, what a great response the Bereans have. But the mob's not done yet. Remember, Thessalonica was a hob, so more than likely people were traveling through Berea to get to somewhere else, and then they went to Thessalonica, and they were telling them all about this good stuff that was happening in Berea, and those Jews who were jealous, they just couldn't stand it. So here we go in verse 13. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul's on his way again. And next week we join Paul in Athens. It's gonna be a great message. Have you ever, have you ever journaled? Anyone ever journal? Yeah. Yeah, anyone like ever in your life, like even for a day, try journaling, right? Most, most of us, right, okay? It's like a healthy practice, right? It's a healthy practice. I've had seasons of journaling that were, that were great and most of my life, it's like I don't journal. <laughs> uh, but so it's a healthy practice. If you don't do it, it's not essential. But one of the beautiful things about journaling is you're, you're literally putting your life on paper, right? You're penning down the things that happen to you. You're writing down your day metaphorically speaking, you could say that as your day unfolds, your story is being written, right? Just this metaphor of how the story unfolds in our life and is penned into our heart, penned into our emotions, penned into our psyche. And as we think about the things that we experience every day and the moments that we hang on to, oftentimes what we realize is like, wow, they're not, they're not equal, Because something that we all know is that pain in our life has a very disproportionate effect on how we think, on how we feel, on how we work, on how we love. And when pain is written into our story, it's called the pen of pain. And it has such a dramatic effect in how we are formed and how we are are molded and how we think help us understand this more fun story. So uh, when I was a kid, I was in second grade, and um, my sister and I were at my aunt's house, and uh, similar kind of weather, similar uh, same time of year, like lots of icicles hanging off her house. Now, as an adult, I think back to the story, and I'm like, man, my aunt had terrible insulation. Uh, but you know, as a kid, all you see are icicles, right? All you see are icicles, and so my sister and I just layered with our snow gear. We weren't aiming at our faces. We played a friendly game, as brothers and sisters would do, throwing icicles at each other. Okay, this is this is right. Love. This is love. Uh, and uh, so, sure enough, you know, like I duck around the corner of my aunt's house, and there it is—the biggest icicle I've ever seen. And, uh, it's probably four or five feet long. And I'm just thinking, I can't throw this, but if I could walk around the corner with this in my hand, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm winning. I'm done. You know what I mean? Like there's no way. So I walk up to this icicle and I'm just thinking, I'm just going to, you know, pull it down and just catch it. And so I break, uh, I grab the tip of the icicle and I get a little snap and the whole thing breaks. And, um, the noise was free, by the way. It sounded just like that. The whole thing breaks, and it lands on my head. And I fall to the ground. And I kind of get up. Don't feel kind of right. But I grab whatever piece of the icicle I could find, and I run over to my sister. And as soon as I run over to my sister, her eyes go wide open, and her mouth drops, and she drops the icicle in her hand, As then I feel the blood just running down my face. Fast forward through all the messiness. Um, if any of you ever wonder what's wrong with me, now you have a story to back it up. So there you go. So Cassie hangs on to. So no, but uh, you know the doctor would have said like if the corner of that ice school when it broke would have hit my head, it would have just cracked my skull in half. You know, so luckily it was just the blunt end. You know, um, so I don't have that much brain damage. But it uh, you know it was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> That was a painful moment in my life. And I laugh about it because this simple moment that happened to me in the second grader has lasting effects on me as an adult. I'm the dad who, whenever we go anywhere, I got the shovel. I'm like scraping off all the icicles, right? (laughs) Why? Because because I have that moment like penned into my life, right? This pen of pain. And that's what pain often does for us, right? It tells us like, hey, don't touch that stove again, but in more real ways in our life, don't get in that kind of a relationship again. Don't go back to that car dealer, you know, don't make the same mistake when you buy when you buy your next home. Hey, don't, you know, don't marry that kind of person. Hey, don't treat your kids that way. This is the kind of pen of pain in our life, right? It teaches us what not to do. And there's two kind of big categories, if you will, with the pen of pain. One is like my silly example, like dumb things that we do. And some of us, we've just made some really big mistakes. Or you just make a little mistake, and it just has this this pen of pain in your life as, as it writes that into your story that's just completely disproportionate and completely changes how you view the world, how you view your relationships, how you view everything. The other kind of pain pain in our life is the one where we have no say over what is being written. It's the injustice that happens to us. It's the inequality, the target of malicious attacks from friends, from family, right? Oftentimes, this is from people who know us the most because unfortunately, what we all know is that the people who know us the most often give us the deepest wounds. Paul writes back to the church in Thessalonica he has such a passion for this church as he does all his churches. And so he goes, to, he goes to Athens and he ends up in Corinth and he had sent Timothy back to uh, Thessalonica just to check on him. Hey, you got to check on our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. They're under persecution, right? They're under a lot of pain. How are they doing? And then he comes back with a good report and Paul writes a letter. We have, we have two of his letters here in the Bible, First and Second Thessalonians. Let's read this one verse together in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, verse 14. It says this. It says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about all the churches in Jerusalem and the surrounding, like the first kind of generation of churches, if you will. The ones, ironically, Paul himself was persecuting. You became imitators of them. How? You suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews. The Jews who killed Jesus. You know, it's a good exercise to go through. What is the pen of pain in your life? What are the the painful moments that have just formed you? You know what a, a better question is? What is the pen of pain in your life that is for the sake of the gospel? What are the painful moments that we're experiencing or maybe that we have experienced for the sake of the gospel, for Jesus? Paul writes to this church and we just have this different perspective on this church in Thessalonica, this church that is suffering from its own people. Uh, in, In Philippi, where we were last week, it was the magistrates, like Paul upset the people who were in charge And so they had the political capital, they had the authority to try and do something about it, illegally put them in jail. Here, it was was their brothers and sisters, their ethnic identity and, and people group that they share this rich and long history with, that they see day in and day out in the marketplace, that they worship together in the synagogue, who were so jealous at what God was doing in their life that they went and found a bunch of worthless men and they did whatever they could to try and stop what God was doing in their life. And some of you, you, you experience this, this pen of pain in your life for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you're in a marriage where the other person just doesn't believe the same and you just live as best you can in a way that promotes Christ, just keep keep going, keep going. For those of you, you have a group of friends that know you, not the Christian version of you. And they're inviting you out and you go back into that friend group, but you have to be a different person because Jesus has turned your world upside down. And so you have this pen of pain in your life, this painful moments as you just try to live a different way, the way that the gospel draws us into, the way of Jesus. And it causes painful moments. Some of your friends don't want to be friends anymore. Some of your friends, uh, they sneer at you, right? There's slander going on behind your back. Some of you, you've experienced the same kind of thing in your family grew up maybe in a very religious home, but not one that had a saving faith in Christ and you came to faith in Christ, maybe in college, maybe later in life. And now every time you go back, it's just your burden on your heart that you would share Jesus with them, that they would share in the joy of all that Jesus is. But you know, they hang the phone upon you or they just ignore you, whatever it may be. A really interesting question that maybe we should just wrestle through this week is what is the pen of pain in my life that is for the sake of the gospel? How am I suffering? How am I suffering like this for Christ? And this is where Jesus turns. This is where Jesus is always turning our world upside down. Because if you just stop there, you're like, "That sounds terrible," <laughs> right? For those of you that have been in church, maybe you're kind of used to that. But like, if you're new, you're like, "I'm not coming back here." <laughs> uh, I enjoy going to the gym. I enjoy going to the gym. I do. I'm not an expert. I'm not as strong as I want to be or as fast as I want to be. And I'm always like bumming off people who are stronger and faster to show me what to do. But I love going to the gym. The gym is painful. I walk out of the gym sore, right? And if I overdo it, like I... I, I can't walk for a couple days, right? Or whatever it may be. Or it's like, oh man, I worked my back out in a way I didn't know I could work my back out. You know, what was that machine, you know? uh, But I enjoy going to the gym. Why do I enjoy putting myself through so much pain? Because it makes me stronger. Because it makes me healthier. Because I think it's the way that God's given me to, to help steward my body. Not that you have to go to the gym, but you understand what I'm saying. If you've played a sport, think about it the same way. Practices, stunk, right? When your coach was like, all right, 10 more laps or whatever it was, you know. The pain that we suffer for Christ, the pen of pain in our life that is for Christ, it does not end there. It is for much greater glory. James tells us, he says, consider it pure joy when when you face trials of many kinds. All right, Romans, uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter five, uh, he writes how how this suffering uh, produces perseverance and this perseverance produces character as we become more like Christ. And what does this character produce? Hope. And what is the greatest hope that we can have? I can tell you, it's not the toy that you want here on earth or the position that you're vying for in your workplace or the relationship you're hoping God will bless you with. That is not our greatest hope. And it's of, it's of no uh, incidental uh, circumstance that when Paul writes back to the Thessalonians in First and Second Thessalonians, do you know what he talks about at the end of his letter? He says, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back and so all the injustice that you face you may never see the renewed city that you long for you may never see this injustice rectified or come to justice that you long for but the hope that you have the reason why you just you just suffer for Christ in this way and just living for him because the gospel was to do it draws us into a way of living that turns our world upside down the reason you let it do that is because there is a greater hope and there is a greater glory and there is a greater purpose that we are living for. And some of us, that's what we need to be reminded of today. We just need to be reminded when we're facing the persecution that we may face. There is a greater hope than we are living for. It's not going to be solved in politics. It's not going to be solved uh, anywhere except in Jesus Christ. So we hold on to that hope because Jesus is continually just turning our world upside down. And the power of the gospel draws us into a new way of living. And that new way of living is going to cause some problems with people around us who may get jealous, who may want to make us pay for this new way of living. And we keep pressing forward. Not because it's fun. Because it's joy. Because Jesus is our hope. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to have the perseverance of the Thessalonican church. Help us to have the endurance that it takes. Fill us with that so that we can become more like you in our character, so that we can be reminded of the hope that we have in you. God and his jealousy uh, finds roots in our heart, may we just squash it quickly and when we find ourselves the victim uh, of those who want to see Jesus silenced, let's just remember that you can never silence you. We can never silence you. That you are our hope and you are our glory and so we consider all this pure joy. Thank you that we can live in a world that's turned upside down because of you.